Hey there, so we've come to the end of this teaching session and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment. We have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma to interpreting the Bible world and so many others. If you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on MixLR or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash bmglive4. That's the number four. Or you can look in the description and you'll find the link to the website there. We hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith. Is the Hezekiah story, I mean, sorry, the the the, the second um, Bible verse you gave, that's oh. about like God changing his mind about Hezekiah dying, right? Or is that a different? All right. Um, Exodus 32, Exodus 32 from verse 14, it says, um, so God, so the Lord relented concerning the disaster he said it would bring on his feet. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. They were inscribed on both sides, inscribed front and back. The tablets were the works of God, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. But Moses replied, It's not the sound of, of a victory cry and not the sound of a cry of defeat. I heard the sound of singing. As he approached the camp, he saw and saw the calf and the dancing. Moses became enraged and spilled the tablet out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. Then he took the calf they had made, burned it up, and ground it to powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced Israelites to drink the water. Wow. Then Moses asked Aaron, what did these people do to you that you have led them into such a great sin? Don't be enraged, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know that the people are intent on evil. They said to me, make us a God who will go before us. Because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I said to them, whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me. When I threw it into the fire, came out the scalp. So just like comment, it sounded like he didn't do anything to mold it. He just threw it into the fire and then a calf appeared. So Moses, Moses saw that the people were out of control for Aaron had let them get out of control, resulting in weakness before their enemies. And Moses stood at the camp's entrance and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites gathered around him. He told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Every man passing his sword to his side, go back. Um, sometimes look for, okay, I think the part that um, says God changed his mind is this from verse 14. Let, let me read from verse 1. Um, so, Vicky, hello? Yeah? Yeah, you were supposed to start from the verses prior to it. Verse 14 okay. was the okay. major point. And I want us to look at like what led to that. Because at the end of the day, that's how we build our conclusions, right? We see texts and we bring all of them together and say, okay, what does this tell us about God, right? Yeah. So okay. look at, read from verse 10. Let's, let's jump to verse okay. 10. Yeah. Okay. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. But Moses interceded with the Lord his God. 
Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, against your people you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say you brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your anger, great anger, and relent concerning this disaster planned for your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them by your very self and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky, and will give your offspring all this land that I have promised, and they will inherit it forever. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he said in his way. So, so you see something, right? You see, God was planning to do something in verse 10, and then in verse 14. God is doing something different. Is that is that visible for us to see? I want to be sure that all of us saw that. Yeah. So yeah. he was going in one direction. Next moment, he's not going in that direction because of some influence in the middle. And what's the influence here? An intercessor, right? Mm. Okay, so that's just one example. Let's look at another one. Because what we're doing is Bible study. We're trying to build a theological um, position on this based on myriads of scriptures. Now, what for those who are just joining, we're trying to answer the question, can God change his mind? And maybe by extension, can we change God's mind? And I hope we'll be able to get to that point to answer that. But we are looking at verses that support the idea that God does change his mind. And then we're still going to look at other verses too that seem to say the other, uh, the opposite of that, so that we'll see all the texts and then see how to resolve the tension that the text provides. So look at um, um, Jeremiah 26, 19. That one, we don't have to read the whole thing, but just it's just a reference to something that happened, which we'll look at the whole story. Okay. So Jeremiah 26, 19, wait for it to come up. Yeah, this is it. All right. So it says, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all the people of Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and plead for the Lord's favor? And did not the Lord relent concerning the disaster he had pronounced against them? So Jeremiah is saying, remember this now. Like God was going to bring a certain disaster on these people, people of Judah. And God relented. So we're seeing a picture of God not doing what he said he was doing. All right. Another example, and some of you will even think of some examples that will cross your mind right now. Well, let's, even, let's look at the Hezekiah story. It's a very beautiful story. So let's go to um, Isaiah uh, 38. And it's a long read. I'd love someone to volunteer. We'll read from verse 1. I think maybe to like verse 8. Is anyone going to volunteer real quick? Yeah, I, I can read it. All right, go ahead. Okay. In those days, Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, came and said to him, This is what the Lord says, Put your affairs in order, for you are about to die. You will not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He said, Please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah that this is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Look, 
I'm going to add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the power of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is a sign to you from the Lord that he will do what he has promised. I am going to make the sun's shadow that goes down on Ahaz's stairway go back by 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back the 10 steps it had descended. I mean, that, that's, that's very profound. I don't know if you understand what he's saying here. Especially with the last part, like his sign. The sign is, let the, you know, let the time go backwards. Because it's one thing to say, you know, I'll move the time forward. But then moving the time backwards is more of a miracle and a more permanent, powerful sign, right? You know, and, and based on Hezekiah praying and interceding, and not only just interceding with empty words, he's saying, hey, let me tell you a little bit about my life. <laughs> and, and that somehow made God say something. That's, that's very significant. He tells Isaiah to go back and go and tell Hezekiah, I'm adding 15 years. And not only that, he's also promising deliverance. And what changed here between put your house in order you are going to die and you have 15 more years was intercession on his own behalf. We're seeing that, right? Yeah. Okay, good. So remember, we are being biblical here. Anytime we want to build any position, we want to look at scriptures. And like I was saying before I got to look at all the texts, there are two, maybe, maybe more extremes when it comes to subjects like this, like prayer, what can prayer do? And there's the extreme on the left side, I won't call any names, but there's the extreme on the left side that is like, you know, God cannot and cannot change his mind and has never changed his mind. And that the only thing that happens is how we press. So we're just looking at God in history. And to us, it looks like he changed his mind. However, God never changed his mind and will never change his mind. I will never, I'll use the biblical word, repent of anything he said he was going to do. So we are only perceiving change because we are humans, right? That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, and it's one single coin, all right? But they are like the extreme sides of the coin. The other side is, ah, right now, we are going to hold the hand of the Lord's prayer, you know, and we will make God do this thing that we want to see done because we know that we can change God's mind. And then they will quote these same scriptures, right? So there, is, there, is there a healthy balance, right? Is there a position that maybe a third side of the coin you know, yeah. that, that metaphorical. Um, I want so, to... who is that? It's Victoria. Yeah, g- g- give me a second to, you know, move forward a little bit. Okay. I'll come back. I'll also get feedback for sure. Um, but I just want to present the case better and, and help us build. I don't want us to just speak based on what we are just thinking with these few verses already. So I've given you a few. Let me just mention some what he mentions. Jonah, right? Story of Jonah. Jonah, in fact, is aware that God can actually change his mind. Jonah chapter 4 from verse 1. I think that's where prior to this, God wanted to warn the people of Nineveh that were turning their backs against, against God. And then God wanted to correct them. So he sent Jonah. All right. Sorry, what's the... Okay. Um, please, can you put this on the screen? Okay, Jonah. Yeah, Jonah chapter 4, 
Now, this is the backstory here is, you know, we already, most of us know the story of Jonah, right? A rebellious prophet. God said, go and talk to them. He found all the possible means to run away from the instruction God gave him. He even had, instead of telling the people in the ship when there was a storm, let's go, you know, let's turn. I know why I'm, I'm why the storm is here. Let's turn the ship to, you know, from Tarshish and head to Nineveh. The storm will stop. Guess what Jonah says? Throw me outside. <laughs> Like he was so desperate to get out of the will of God. And you know, God is so interesting because God's now does something miraculous, gets a fish to swallow him, and he's deposited on at the shore alive to do the same thing that he was commanded to do from the beginning. There's a lot to say about that. We did a Bible study on Jonah. Um, I think it was who was the person that and it was Victoria. Yeah, uh Olale, I think. That handed that Jonah series. We did it on in Bible study. All right. But look at verse four. Um, chapter four from verse one. It says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Why was he angry? So he prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still in my own country before you sent me on errand? So that's why I went to Tashit in the first place. I knew that you are what? Merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. So you, you have to understand something very significant. If you are taking any notes, this is one way to define God. God is one who relents from sending disaster. Contrary to the way people see God, you just think that that's like the impulse of God. His impulse is to just destroy things, destroy things, because that's what we keep seeing in scriptures. But his real definition, his nature, is that he is hesitant to destroy, which is to add to the point um, that Benu and um, Shewa were making earlier, that God is, you know, always looking for a repentant heart. And based on that repentance, or based on someone turning their way back to the Lord, we see God resisting from anger or resisting from what he was planning to. And we're going to, make a thesis statement very soon. But I hope this helps you see, you know, another example of where God decided to do something different. You know, and you, you will see with like was basically bargaining with God. And God kept, you know, saying, okay, find this, if I find this. So potentially if, if God, this is a hypothetical statement, but I think it's a strong one. If God was able to find Five righteous people, Sodom and Gomorrah, he wouldn't have destroyed them. Like, that's what the inference is, because he said that, right? Are we still together, guys? Okay, so let's look at the other side. There's a lot more on this side, but because of time, I want to show statements or scriptures that say that, you know, on the surface, look like God does not change his mind. So let's look at those. Um, one of them would be Numbers 23, the most popular verse, you know, that is popular because a lot of people would put it, but Numbers 23:19, And I think anyone who is able to, to rightly divide will understand that there is no, there's no clash. I think I'm making the conclusion already, but there's really no clash, but let's see it. So look at verse 19. 
All right. It says, God is not a man who lies. Which translation is this, Abed? Which one is it? Common. Okay, it's fine. God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Now, who is a, a, I need a good Bible student here to tell me the, the subject and the, uh, and the compliments. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. What is the real issue here? Is this talking generically about God changing? Or is it I'm talking about God changing his mind concerning a specific thing? Who can help me interpret verse 19 in its context? Um, so I would say this is talking about a specific because um, the first line says God is not a man who lies. That means for you to say that God is lying, then he said he would do something and then he didn't, he didn't end up doing it. And if you also in the later part of the verse, he also says, does it speak and not act or make a promise and then not fulfill his promise? So he's talking about well, um, the particular thing that God asked him, God promised. Okay, so so I, what Victoria is saying is, this is speaking about when God says he will do something as a promise and then he doesn't fulfill it, that that's not God's nature, right? And if he said he would do a thing, he is known to act on that thing. And then the comparison is, he's not like us humans who can vary in our position based on unnecessary um, reasons. If that makes sense. So the reason for changing one's mind, for us, it can be the most insignificant things. We, today we feel like doing this. Tomorrow we don't feel like doing it. But he's saying God is not a man who would intentionally lie or the son of man who changes his mind. And yeah, changing his, changes his mind is, is the same word um, in the Hebrew that you see the word repent. So by the way, when we see, when he says God repented, it doesn't mean God sinned and is trying to get forgiveness. I mean, that doesn't even make logical sense. Who's God asking for forgiveness from? So repentance does not always connote a negative thing. It just means to change one's mind concerning a particular thing. So I think the context here is not generic. It's like, hey, when God makes a promise, you can and be sure he keeps to it. So, so to apply this directly would be some of you now, if you hear that God can change his mind and you come to that conclusion, what happens to your salvation? Like, is it on the ropes? Is your salvation based on God's mood? You get what I mean? Like, yeah. this is an assurance passage. It's like, if God has said, I'm going to be with you and I'm sealing you with my Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ came to save your sins, save you from your sins, and give you new life. Uh, uh, can God change his mind tomorrow and say, ah, I don't, I don't like Shewa again. Um, let me just take back my gift, you know? No, that's like, that's, that, that's not cool. So that's one thing you have to understand is being communicated here in the, in the real sense. All right, but let's look at another text, because this one, we can explain it away, right? <laughs> With correct... Um, you know, explanation. But let's look at First Samuel 15 from verse 29. First Samuel 15, 29. I'd like someone to read this one. How are we doing so far? Hi, Didi. Good to see you. You've been 
you've been amazingly consistent and i'm so i'm so happy and proud of you thanks for thank being here thank you i'll try yeah. thank you well done all right so let's read that who's going to read it do you want to read it didi sure all right verse 29 furthermore the internal one of israel does not lie or change his mind for he is not a man who changes his mind no Should i continue no i think that's good Read, read verse, go back. So we, I want us to see something. I think you can read from verse 27. By the way, I want, I want to let you know that the Old Testament is going to be our friend next year. So be, be ready for that. Like, oh, you're going to read the Old Testament. You're going to, you know, really go deep into it by God's grace. So look at this, right? Look at this part. Uh, verse 27. He says, when Samuel turned to go, Saul grabbed him of his robe. I don't know how many of you know what is happening here. This is, Saul's, you know, this is when God is no longer going to work with Saul because of, you know, God God rejected him for disobeying um, his command. God told him to do something, you know, destroy the of uh, the enemies, and then he kind of did it in his own way, and so God was displeased, and so Samuel goes to him. Right, that's the backstory, and God gave him an instruction. So verse twenty-seven says, when Samuel turned to go. Saul grabbed the hem of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn. <laughs> I like the proverbial poetic use of this language. That's the way he tore the robe of Samuel. Samuel says, you tore, God has also torn the kingship of Israel away from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Furthermore, the eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind. Well, he's not a man who changes his mind. When you read this, what does it do to you? Because, I mean, we just made a statement before from Numbers 23. And the context there was specific to like, when God makes a promise about something he wants to do, he's not, a, he's not variable. There's no variableness or shadow of turning with him, right? We agree with that fully. But now in this case, he's using it in the context of God said, I have rejected you as the king over Israel. And so because I rejected you and I'm the eternal one of Israel, I don't change my mind. So question, could Saul, <laughs> you can see where this is becoming a nice conundrum. I don't even know if those two words go together, but could Saul have begged and seen what happened with Ezekiah in this situation? Because it's a similar thing, right? Ezekiah, God says, you are going to die. Get your house in order. This guy starts praying. And then God says, oh yeah, Isaiah, go back and tell him that you have 15 more years, which is different from what he first sent Isaiah to tell him. Now here, another prophet being sent, Samuel, God has taken away the kingdom from you. But Saul cannot do anything about it. And if you notice, Saul is begging. And he's saying, I've seen, please honor me before the others. And then, uh, look at verse 31. Okay, okay. I think that's the end of the story here. So you, I want to hear some thoughts. What, what, what do you guys think? Could, could there have been a different outcome? Because now we've seen Ezekiah's situation. We've seen some, the situation with Saul. Is there any glaring difference? Feel free to speak. Oh. Like, I mean, like I said at the very beginning, this is very conversational. 
I'm seeing a hand up. Yeah. Okay, so I just wanted to make a, a, a make a point that you know before before this, when God first told Samuel that he was going to take the kingship away from the house of Saul, it was said that Samuel actually succeeded. Right, I think he succeeded all night. Right, right, very good call yeah. out. So yes. it's not like the, it's not like um if he had if there was some form of maybe a sense of perception or so. God's mind, God's mind will have actually changed. Mm. Um, God, that was what God wanted to do at that point. Like God, God saw Saul's heart. God saw that Saul was not so. Your intercession cannot change that, and that's why I think it still kind of alludes to what what I what I said earlier that if we really understand what God what God mind. Regarding mm. regarding certain things, there to make sense because I'm um, um, something I wanted to say when you when you asked if there was uh, at the beginning when you asked if there was a third factor that played yeah. was that if you actually see when we actually talk about this procedure, can God change his mind or not? Apart from the stating numbers, where I'm not sure, there's usually one third factor there, the perception factor, where God, where God, uh, where uh, man is trying to where it seems man is trying to change God's mind concerning a certain thing, which is predict judgment, right? Which is judgment in some sort in some way. So I think if this is this is the conclusion uh I came to after like going through all these questions that number one, just like uh, Jonah said, just like Jonah said. God is not one who is quick to just send disasters and just like judge everybody like that. And if he made provisions for intercession, so I as we I went to look for the verse, I think, and that was Ezekiel 22. Let me open it here. Ezekiel 22. Um Ezekiel 22. Verse. Let me just open the entire Ezekiel. Then I think it's verse thirty. Yeah. So it says, um, I search. Yeah, I sent. I search for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, so that I might not destroy it. But I found no one. So my my what I wanted to like really mention is if. God, God will not make a provision for intercession, right? If the if there is no significance to it, and the um the conclusion that I kind of like came to is that intercession shows us a very like, interesting play between God's judgment and mercy, right? So God is just and God is also very merciful, right? And Okay, Chris says if you go by that, what about second Samuel? No, no, Victoria, finish your thoughts. There's a lot of people want to speak. So just finish your thoughts. We'll look at okay. that. God is very just and God is merciful. And I think he made provisions for intercession so that both of them can both of them can play hand in hand, right? And all right. Okay. So God makes room for intercession. Amen to that. And and that's something we saw. Beno, do you want to speak real quick? Yes, I just wanted to say, like, at this point, hadn't David already been anointed king? 
right? Okay. So, yeah. so am I? So build your yeah, case. Build your case. I want to hear it. Yeah. Okay. I'm just thinking, like at this point, God had already chosen David as the next king, and if we even think about like how Saul became king and how it was really the people requesting for for you know him to be king over them. I'm thinking about how his beginnings, like it, it had been very like wishy-washy. Um, so I'm thinking that with his beginning and, and also with God hadn't, having chosen uh, David at this point, I don't think God would have changed his mind. Yeah, those are my thoughts. Right, okay. Thank you. So, so basically your point is God had chosen David and that was done even before the rejection of Saul. Absolutely. Okay. Um, who else? I see another hand up. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I've uh I agree with this statement that we usually make about God being God-centered, and that it there's an end goal with, with all of this, and the end goal is not with Saul. It's not with David. It's not with one person. The end goal is Israel. The end goal is the fact that um, it's for Jesus, right? Coming through Israel. And so wh- why do I say this? Is, is, is in the sense that um, God, God wants men to work with him to bring about his plan. Um, at one point in time, Saul was. At another point in time, he, he wasn't anymore. And so I, I believe that um, if Saul, yes, I think um, uh, uh, Vicky mentioned, you know, um, or someone else mentioned, you know, Samuel made an intercession. And, 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 I, and that's great. But what was the state of Saul's heart even with the intercession? I firmly believe if Saul, you know, yeah, somebody interceded. If Saul also, I don't know, maybe had a broken spirit, had a contrite heart, you know, it would still continue, like it would still continue because the end goal was not just one person. It was it was was more than Saul. It was more than David. Yes, David was anointed. I think David would still have become king. You know, Saul would still have worked with God to move Israel to God's, you know, to, to the goal, to the to the purpose, which is salvation through Jesus at you know at, at the end of the day. So if you work with God. God will work with you. If you don't work with God, God will not work with you. Um, not in the sense that there's no mercy. In fact, it, it says that, in fact, that, that means there's mercy in the sense that if, no matter how far you go, even if you, if you, when you come back and intercede, uh, not intercede, but like um, just work with God, you know, with faith and all of that, God will work with you. And I think that was the significant thing here because even after that, Saul was after David and that is not the heart of someone that still wanted to work with God. And so I'm um, just to wrap my thoughts up and it's like Saul's heart wasn't, wasn't working with God. And that, that, I think that's a significant thing. If his heart, you know, turned around and worked with God, I think God would have worked with him. And that would not in any point have, you know, thwarted David's position as king. I think like, again, God spoke it, that would still have happened. And the goal is Israel. The goal is Jesus at the end of the day, not Saul, one person Saul, not, you know, um, David. That, that's my thought. Thank you. And I think it, it is very important that you have that global picture because when you think about God, you must think big, the big picture, right? It's not just the individuals. God would have worked with anyone who aligned with his will. 
but we must see it from a bigger lens. I like I like the points you raised. And I think we should talk about Saul. I'm seeing um, um Treasure's hand up. Let me quickly hear Treasure's thoughts on it. Because he made he made a point in the chat. Good day, good day, everyone. Um <laughs> um this topic is very interesting, but I would like to in case a couple of people don't know yet, there's actually a scripture that is way before this event. And that scripture was actually 1 Samuel chapter 13. So I'll give you guys a brief history of what's going on there. There is a war with the Philistines. Samuel is meant to make the sacrifice to God. Saul, Samuel hadn't come for a couple of days. Saul was basically waiting and waiting. And at a particular point in time, the men start, it's like the men started deserting in a sense. And then Saul goes ahead to make the sacrifice where someone was actually meant to be the one to make the sacrifice. So just almost just as Saul finishes making that sacrifice, Samuel comes into the picture. And then Saul gives the excuse of why he went ahead to make the sacrifice. And then if you read from verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command which the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man loyal to him. And the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord had commanded. And then the story basically just goes on like that. And what I even want to emphasize was when Samuel said, the Lord has found a man loyal to him. Um, and going on from what Adesua actually just said, um, I am almost called sorry, Adesua, sorry, almost um, just said, I'm almost called to suspect um Saul's character as a person because we have seen we 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 saw a lot of his feelings actually he was rash at certain times a couple of occasions he tended to do things like on his own without actually waiting for proper guidance or he just tended to do things as he deemed best or as he deemed fit and then when someone was talking, someone used the word, the Lord has found someone loyal, according to some other translations, according to his heart. And that is where I would agree that maybe for Saul, actually, there was actually a heart problem. Not as much as, okay, um, because I, I come to think of it, Ahab was probably worse than Saul. God was going to punish Ahab. Ahab begged God, and God pushed the punishments to Ahab's children. Like, and then we see Saul on the other hand, right? And it just felt like even the one that, oh, God actually appointed this guy. And at the end of the day, like, um, we, we don't really see an account whereby Saul is actually contrite or brokenhearted or or any of that. There's literally no account to him. And then I find it very interesting that someone has to use the word, God has found the one who is loyal to him or according to his heart. It kind of points a picture about Saul and about Saul's character, right? And then there was nowhere else we see Saul actually, you know, trying to, you know, 
reach out or trying to, you know, be brokenhearted and everything. And a couple of times we see that even when David sinned with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, um, David did the whole census thing. We always saw David's heart, heart posture. So I, I do think like for Saul, it was a thing of his heart posture towards God more than anything else. The same way God rejected Cain's sacrifice and accepted Abel's sacrifice, basically the heart posture. So for Saul, I think like that is something we actually have to take into consideration. And just mm-hmm. to quickly talk, um, I... Being on both sides of, um, there are two, as Ernest mentioned, there are two extremes. One extreme, you have a side where it seems like you have a God that is not fully in control, quote unquote. And then on the other extreme, you have a side that if you paint God as this person whereby he is just, um, this is, bam, this is how it is. And everything. Uh, it doesn't make sense why he now comes to dialogue with us. It doesn't make any sense why he comes to commune with us, why he comes to discuss with us and everything. I, I think what the Bible tries to show us is in as much as we have a God who is completely sovereign and we have a God who um, basically we need to know his will and things like that. We also have a God who encourages us as beings that he has created to come and commune with him, to know his will concerning certain matters and things like that. So that's just where we end it. Thank you very much, Treasure. And I think Treasure just succinctly like put those two sides very clearly and the implications of making those claims, right? If, you, if you're on either side, there's, there's a fundamental... Um, attribute of God that you are basically thwarting in a sense if you if you don't find a safe healthy balance so I think I think there are two things I want to bring out immediately that all through the Bible anytime we see God change his mind there's either one of two things right and this this is what my study has produced right and like I said this conversation <laughs> they, they are powerful scholars on you know, different sides on it. Uh, I've heard someone like Arsis Pro said, A, God can never ever change his mind. And the issue, and when you when it looks like he's changing his mind, is because he's just trying to play, you know, how someone can know the end of everything. And, and because he knows how everything is going to go, he just plays drama with you. So in the in the real sense, there's really no relationship if that is it. Like everything is all fake, nothing's real. It's like I'm I'm all the efforts to get you to do something are just like, you know, in my independent plan, but God already is going to do whatever he wants to do. And so when he says something at the very beginning, like, oh, I will destroy, God already knows he's not going to destroy. And that, and also that he, he doesn't care about the intercession. He's still going to change his mind, which was really the initial plan he had. I don't know if I confused you, but that's the, that's Arsis Pro's position on it is like, you know, God never, ever, ever changes his mind. But then, uh, you know, I've heard other scholars who are like, hello, that just makes God, you know, when it comes to dealing with us, very um, impassable, meaning he's not even relating on any emotional level with us. And that doesn't look like God in the Bible, right? God the very display of mercy 
by definition, is God changing his mind about his, you know, about destroying the person. So giving you what you deserve. And then he shows mercy, meaning he gives you what you don't deserve. You, you get my point. So I, here are the two things that show up when God seems to be changing his mind in scripture. Number one, and you see how these things point to the gospel ultimately. Number one is the human mediator. And number two is human repentance. All right. So we can, if, as I'm saying it now, you can think of a lot of examples. Number one, you know, when we say human mediator, it's somebody standing in the gap saying, hey, you know, this is something that you have said in the past you will not do because of your nature. Right. And it, they just appeal to the fact that God has said something about showing mercy to a people group or appealing to something about God's intrinsic nature. Um, and then what flows after that is God not doing what he planned to do. And this is always in relationship or in relation to um, giving either giving people what they deserve or what they do not deserve. So it never has to do with God's plan, ultimate plan. It's always a focused, immediate plan. So let me give you an example so that you kind of connect the dots with what I'm saying. So we looked at Moses, right? Moses interceding. You know, God told Moses, you know, in Exodus 32, that let's go, let's look at it real quick. Verse nine. You know, some it says, I, I've I've seen these people. And they are a stiff-necked people. So leave me alone and let my wrath burn against them. And then verse 11, Moses is begging. He says, ah, God, if you do this, the Egyptians are going to say, yeah, you don't care about these people though. Think about Isaac. Remember Abraham, Isaac, uh, and, and Jacob? You know, you swore to them that I'll bless your offspring. And you see how Moses is taking the place of an intercessor, right? Like a mediator. You see that? And then God now decides to not do what he's going to do in verse 14. Or you see we, in the example of human repentance, what's human repentance? Look at Jonah's example, right? Where God was already sent, you know, sorry, he already sent Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell them, I'm, I'm destroying them. Tell them, just give them the bad news. And so he goes there <laughs> eventually. and knowing that God is a merciful God, tells them about the, the impending doom. And these people of their own accord say, ah, let's change how we do things. Let's, you know, let's switch up. <laughs> so they, they even got the animals to fast. And the Bible tells us that God relented of, on, on his plan to destroy them. So notice that when it comes to God changing his mind, it always has to do with, giving people what they deserve and then deciding to give them what they don't deserve. Right. That's, that's the thing. God relented. God relented. You see it everywhere in, in Jeremiah, um, you know, 42, 10. Let me show you an example. Just another example here. Are we there? Jeremiah 42, 10. It says, if you indeed stay in this land, then I will, I will rebuild and not demolish you and I will plant and not uproot you. Notice he's giving them a condition. He says, because I relent concerning the disaster. Sorry, small. Let me read it. I relent. Where are we? Sorry. Yeah. 
because I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought on you. So you can see he's saying, if you indeed say in this land, I will do these things and I will turn back from actually destroying you. So it is turning from giving them justice, which they truly deserve, to switching back to give them mercy. Right? So I think when you look at it, there's human repentance and human mediator. And guess where these two elements show up ultimately? They show up in the gospel of Jesus, right? So from the human mediator, we see how, man, everything still comes back to types and shadows. And I think it's, it's, it's comforting to see that all of the pictures we see in the Old Testament, they were real, they were real life experiences that these people had with God, where God actually relented from doing certain things that he said he was going to do, but it was with an end in mind to teach people something bigger, something better. So look at the Romans 5, 8. Let's even just go straight to Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. All right. Now it says, look at verse, um, verse, go up, sorry. Verse um, 6. It says, for while we're still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps one might even dare to die. Then verse 8 says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. All right. So we are seeing the picture of a man. And we're going to see this even more clearly when you look at um First um, John chapter 2 First John chapter 2 from verse 1 you know John is writing he says brethren um, young children my little children I'm writing to you these things that you don't sin but if anyone sin we have an advocate with the father advocates right you see that word advocate mediator basically someone who is standing between and he says it's Jesus Christ the man Jesus Christ. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for us only, but for also for, but also for those of the world. And so we're seeing the picture of human mediation, right? First Timothy chapter two. This one, I'll have to trust that. I'll find this somewhere. Is it Timothy 2, 15? I'm not sure of the text now for this one, but let's see, scroll down. I think it's, yeah, that's it. Don't go too far. Go back up. Yes. For there is one God, verse 5, and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all a testimony at the proper time. So everything is, see, you have to understand that the apostles had a very, very sound understanding of the Old Testament. And so whenever they were bringing this communication, they wanted you to see Moses in Jesus. They wanted you to see, you know, anyone who interceded for people as a type and a picture of Jesus. So that's why human mediation is the only thing capable of changing God's mind. And the specific way we see it or the the way God wants us to see it is that we can change. And I'm putting this in in quotes. We can change God's mind about our destination because of a human mediator or God's mind is changed because of Christ. Do you understand? Like that's the image we see. 
God was going to, you know, give the world what they deserve. But even out of his love, which we see in Jesus Christ, he mediates on our behalf and his mediation comes from dying, right? Giving his life. All right. So that's the human mediation part. What of human repentance? It's the same thing, right? When um, Peter is preaching the gospel, what does he say? Let's go there real quick. Acts chapter, chapter 2. And we look at his preaching, you know, powerfully scroll down to like verse 30, 38, maybe. Yeah, it's from here. So when they heard this, verse 37, when he heard this, they came on that deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? Notice this human repentance. Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the Holy Spirit. So you're seeing, you're seeing something very powerful. Human mediation, human repentance. These two are required, required for your salvation. And those are the only two conditions in the entire Old Testament. Study it for yourself. In the entire Old Testament where God ever changes his mind, it's on those two things. Someone who God has placed to stand in the gap, stands in the gap, and God shows mercy on everyone because of their mediation. Or if people decide to come and turn from their wicked ways, and when they do that, God shows mercy. So I think it's a big picture. When, you, when someone asks you from now on and says, does God change his mind? You can see how it, the answer can be so gospel-centric. If you really understand what this whole thing is about. Like, don't think in terms of, I can make God give me a tester, even though he doesn't want me to. I have a Tesla now. I can pray it into being. And that's the wrong idea a Christian should have when it comes to praying. Remember, it's all about the will of God. What's God's will? What's God's ultimate will? Who can tell me? First Timothy as well, chapter two. What does God desire? What is God's plan? Once everything is aligned with God's plan, thank you, praise, all men to be saved. But you see, God's desire for all men to be saved is dependent on two things, one of which God has done. You see that? And that is, it's good, verse 3, thank you very much, and it pleases God as Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants everyone to be saved, so he did something about it. Now, people have to come to the knowledge of the truth. They have to repent and believe. Repentance is not complete without believing, right? So you believe and then you are saved. So John 3.16, the most popular verse, tells us the two sides of this point I'm making. Human mediation, human repentance. But God, so, for God so loved the world, this is how God loved the world, right? How did God love the world? By giving his son as what? A mediator, a propitiation, a payment. So that everyone who believes that requires repentance, to turn from thinking in one way, to change your mind about God from one way to another way. It says, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Praise God. So I, I know everything just came back to the gospel, but that's how you know you're preaching good. <laughs> you know, so I see a question here is, um, 
question. Okay, which one do you think Hezekiah falls under? Do you think he repented? I I actually think so because of the the um the language. So what I do see there is a, a, an ex, maybe not an exception to the rule, but we still see elements of both. So look at how Isaiah is sent with a message, but Hezekiah calls to or appeals to some things in his life that would qualify him to be positioned as a mediator. Now, obviously, no one is perfect, but let's go back to the Hezekiah example real quick. I think this is a good one to bring up. Go back to um, Isaiah 38 that we were reading before. And look at um, what he said when he was praying to God. I think verse 4, verse, verse, uh, verse 3. Yeah. He says, please, Lord, remember how I have walked with you or before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. I'm seeing two elements here. And you may correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously we know. Let's just make it clear. No one is perfect. Even when the Bible says, Noah was perfect. We know that's not what he's talking about. Like no one has in the, in the past walked perfectly without sin, pure, blameless, and spotless. But there are people who have walked faithfully, meaning they've been consistent in their trust in God's plan. So that's what we see. But so his call is, is, is kind of appealing to his faithfulness and his wholehearted devotion to God, which is something that is required of a mediator. Every mediator in scripture had that record. Moses, Abraham, you know, so I can see that being met here, human mediator, even though it's for himself. And then I'm also seeing the repentance. He wept bitterly. I'm, I feel like that's also appealing to the idea of repentance. Um, and then we see that change happen after. And, and if you look at um, um, Jeremiah's, um, you know, reference to this, I think it's um, um, verse verse uh, Jeremiah 26, 19. Thank you very much. And it says, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all the people of Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and plead for the Lord's favor? And did not, so notice fear the Lord being mentioned there and see pleading there. And it says, and did the Lord not relent concerning the disaster he had pronounced against them? So he, he this, this is speaking to about Hezekiah and the, people that Hezekiah was called to govern because the God also promised that not only will he have 15 more years, he will deliver them from their um, oppression, right? So so um, you get, I don't know if you get what I'm saying, like, I feel like this is what I see um, in this picture. I'm seeing both. And, uh, but that's a really good question. I think it falls into both categories. Okay, so um, we're already out of time. Is there any question? I know this this the reason I answered the question like this, I know most of you were expecting a yes or no. And the answer is not a yes or no. It is look at the cross, look at how every example in the Old Testament was intentionally placed. These were real examples of real life people. Like these people lived this life. This was their experience with God. But we can see in retrospect and say, wow, the two kinds of thing, the two requirements you know, to see a change in God's disposition concerning a matter is human mediation and repentance. So it's kind of like a, a message in itself. Like, hey, if you, if there is a mediator, aka Jesus Christ, 
And if you turn from your faith and your doubts to believe in him, then there is salvation for you, which is ultimately God delivering them from the havoc or the harm or the destruction or disaster that they truly deserve. All right. So, um, and yeah, and you know, Elijah, thank God you brought that up because at the end of the day, we see that none of these people are the perfect example of Jesus. They are just a type. Every single person failed, which is why we have the gospel in Jesus. The only person who could fit the perfect human mediation is Jesus. So thankfully, we have Jesus, you know, to look at and be saved. But God was always using frail, weak, failed humans to paint this perfect, beautiful image of his love for all of us. Meaning if we trust in Christ, we don't have to be afraid of our eternal destination. Um, Praise, I see a question. That'll be the last one. I also want to say, you guys, please, let's, you can continue the conversation um, on the chat, in the group chat. I know we're already out of time. Go ahead, praise. Okay, so I just can't help but think of David in Second Samuel 12. I mean, yes, he slept with Uriah's wife. He killed Uriah too. And Nathan was sent by God to, you know, pass judgment towards him. But then we see him in the scriptures. We see him um, exhibit actions of repentance. But his son still yeah. died. We see him, in a sense, med- mediate. But his son, his okay. son still died, and he didn't just stop at his son dying. Like there were other things that God, you know, said. He said that the um, though he did it in secret, paraphrasing, his punishment shall shall be in the open. And we see in a lot of mm. other things happening with Amnon, with Absalom killing Amnon, with Tamar right. and everything like this. So yeah, I'm I'm just saying. I mean, there was. I mean, through scriptures, we could see that he was, well, from what Very I saw, we could see right? him repent. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we could see him pray. So what happened? That's a good question. And I, I, I'm, I would only be able to give like a, what's it called? Like a half-baked response. Because um, whenever God is trying to tell a story with human lives in in trying to bring about his ultimate plan, like we just des- described, there the you must not leave out the repercussions of actions done. So God repenting to do evil cause um, to a people does not excuse them from the repercussions of their actions. That this is something that we see all over scripture, not only in David's situation, where they did something. God had mercy on them. Like you can see that God already said, you know, David was going to be the, uh, was going to have a son and the kingdom, his kingdom will continue to persist basically, which, which ultimately points to Christ. But in David's, because of David's actions, there still had to be consequences, which is still something God is teaching us. And like Paul would say later on in Romans, that everything was written in the scriptures for our learning. Because imagine if every time people did evil things, God just let everything slide. And apart from the human mediation and um, you know human repentance, which are always required, then everything is fixed. So it's like okay, so we you know it would be a bad lesson to us today to say okay if we do everything wrong and then we just trust in Christ. We don't have to worry about the consequences of our actions. So I, I see that as something God is still trying to communicate to us, um, even through these stories. 
that's why it says through the patience and um but how does it say patience and hope of scriptures no um through this can someone put uh, romans 15 4 i'm really tired sorry <laughs> romans 15 4 it says all these things were written for our learning yeah whatever was written in the past was written for our learning or instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures so we can learn humility from David, right? Where he sees the king and honors the king, even though God has turned his face from him. But we also see repentance from David. We also see like the repercussions of evil actions from David. So we, we see a lot of things we can learn. And the, the biblical authors were careful to tell us this is what happened. Why, do, why did they have to tell us? Because they want us to learn from it. So they will say, oh, even though God forgive David and you know restored him. Here's what happened to his family, and this is the, this is the problem of sin. Like sin is always going to bring destruction. Um, so that lesson still has to be there. So I, I think that's the, the way I'll answer it. I say it's half big because this is impulse impromptu answer. Well, give me some time. I would want to even go deeper and study that and, and answer that. But I hope the points. Today, the main idea is, is communicated in today's teaching. Does God change his mind? He does in those two, with those two conditions. That there's a human mediator who ultimately is Christ and a repentant heart, which is required for salvation. You have to turn, right? Um, okay, Elijah says, I like the idea of these mind-changing scenarios being a type and shadow. You're welcome, sir. All right. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining. We're supposed to also spend time praying, but I feel like the time we spent with um, with praise. Please, if you had any testimonies from the praise sessions, please share them. Okay. Um, is there a hand up? Yeah, praise. Your hand is up. You want oh, to see something? Sorry, that was before. Sorry. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. Let me just pray us out. Um, but remember, please, the conversation should keep going and. And the WhatsApp group, I beg, I, I know we like posting nice stuff, but that's a great place to share what, you, what you're doing, how you're growing, things that can encourage people. I want us to make the group chat more active. You know, um, If you have any questions, ask there. If you have any nice thing you see that is encouraging to you, put it there. It could be a verse of the day. It could be anything. And I, I want that place to be you know, a, a source of um, you know, encouragement for people actively so let's let's try to do that as much as is in our power i know someone who said that one of the posts they saw one day was what this is a long time ago this was like in our third year bible marathon the person was contemplating suicide and it was a message on the group chat that changed their mind so you don't know how prophetic and how timely some of these things can be so i really want to encourage us to do that more often all right let's pray heavenly father we thank you Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for always pointing us back to Christ. Christ, who is the perfect mediator, the one who stands in the gap through his blood. And even till now, the Bible says he intercedes for us. And thank you, Lord, that you have in our own hearts helped us to humble ourselves and trust in Christ. And so we have the hope of eternal life, not just the hope, but the present reality. We thank you for these things, Lord. Help us, Lord, in our prayer lives to 
to contemplate on your kindness and your mercy. I know that this even affects us today, that we can pray in faith and trust that situations will change in our favor because you always want what is best for us. If you give us your son, how much more things, you know. And so, Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. And we walk into this week with strength, with vigor, with consistent um, fervor in our walk with you. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Hello and welcome to Bible Marathon. We're all about learning how to read the Bible, about spiritual gifts and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as Christians. The goal is to progress with joy in the faith and without further ado, let's get into the word.